0: Please turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter five. As you do that, again, just a happy Mother's Day to all the women in our church, and I hope that this is a uh, encouraging day for each of the women here, and that you're able to uh, celebrate today and pray that all of us are able to thank God for the uh, influential women in our lives, the women that God has used to influence us for greater godliness. I'm thankful for. Uh, my mom today. Uh, Happy Mother's Day to her, if she's uh, listening, or will listen later, or whatever, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to to get a hold of her today and and talk to her. Um, As you continue to turn to Galatians uh, chapter 4, to Galatians chapter 5, as we move to this new section, uh, another thing, uh, you know, there's some really great things about being a pastor. There's some really uh, fun things. I uh, I have the best view on a Sunday morning. I assure you that uh, my view it's much better than your view right now. Uh, it's really neat to get to see all the, the people of God uh, worshiping together and uh, uh, lis- listening to his word. And so I have a special view on a Sunday morning. I have a special view at weddings. I get the best view in a wedding. Uh, so that's kind of cool to be able to see uh, see the bride and groom up close and uh, the couple as they enter into life together. Uh, I also, I think, have had the, the best view in our our building campaign. It's been uh, a great joy to be able to go and and talk with people about uh, the different aspects of the building campaign. I've had the opportunity to to, to talk with people about the excitement they have for the ministry that we're going to be able to do in our future church if the Lord Wills. I've been able to go to, to care groups and just spend some time talking with people about the, the building ministry and what God might do through us as we, we do that. I've been able to, to see kind of numbers come in and uh, hear people making sacrificial commitments and, and being able to see, probably better than most people in the church, how the church is really coming together sacrificially to um, be able to, to do this ministry. And uh, so, with, with that in mind, you know, on, on Wednesday night, uh, the elders gathered together. And we uh, looked at a lot of the numbers that have come in. We looked at, okay, here's uh, how much money has come in from the building pledges, uh, over $1.8 million in pledges, Uh, 50% more people have pledged this time than our last building campaign. We looked at uh, interest rate, kind of projected interest rate, and we looked at the cost of the project and all those numbers, and we're just really encouraged and we uh, again this is you know if the Lord allows we're going to continue to, to move forward here but uh, it looks like that the uh, the impact thanks to the generosity of our, our church family and all coming together here it looks like we're going to be able to, to tackle this project in such a way that it, it doesn't affect our our yearly budget so we're going to be able to get into a, a new building to expand our, our, our addition there and be able to worship on our Dutch land campus on Sunday morning, and be able to do ministry there and all those sorts of things, and uh, it won't impact our, our monthly budget. In fact, we may even, over the course of a year, spend a little bit less, uh, even in the short term. And so the elders, as they looked at those numbers, said, let's let's move forward, okay? And so we're excited about that, and we're going to, on June 2nd, get together as a church and kind of officially vote to, to move forward on this project and continue to take bids. And uh, Lord willing, we'll see. But Lord willing, we could be in our new building uh, in the fall of next year, if the Lord allows, worshiping there as a church. So that's exciting, right? Praise God. Yeah, yeah, praise God for uh, praise God for his, his working through his people. You know, it's just a really encouraging time in the life of our church. So uh, continue to look forward to, to giving updates and uh and you say, well, can I still pledge? Yes, that's the good news. If you haven't pledged yet, you can still pledge and continue to see uh, God work through that. Well, let's, let's look at Galatians 5, and we're going to be looking at verses uh, 1 through 12 this week and next. And we're going to begin, we've been making our way through the book of Galatians, finding uh, freedom in Christ and the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have looked at uh, Galatians up to this point. And so if you would, please stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. We're looking at uh, the first 12 verses of Galatians 5, uh, this week and next. And this week we're focusing on verses 1 through 6. And here's what Paul writes as he begins chapter 5. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Then verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. The one who is troubling you will bear the penalty whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. You may be seated. May God encourage us as we read these words together this morning, some hard words. Let's pray for God's grace as we go to this text together. Father, we love you, and we are grateful today to you for your word. We recognize that there are hard truths in this passage, and we pray that by your grace we would know these things, believe them to be true and live them out in our lives. We pray this in the name of your son Jesus. Amen. Well, we're entering into the, the third section of Galatians, and remember the, the theme of Galatians is finding freedom in the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And we remember we looked at the first two sections, the first two chapters of Galatians. That's the first section talked about the con uh, this the source of the true gospel. That was the, the first two chapters. Uh Paul's saying this is the true gospel. Okay, Paul, where did this gospel come from? The source of the true gospel is the the first two chapters, the first section. The second section of Galatians was about the content of the true gospel. That was chapters three and four. What is the actual gospel message? What does it mean to, to say that we're not saved by works but through faith? And then we come to the last section now. We're going to be talking about freedom. In the true gospel. So, as we begin this last section, this third section, chapters five and six, I want us to ask a couple questions. The first question is this: How can I know? And by the way, the answer to both questions is we're not sure. That's the short answer. We'll give a little longer answer. The first question: How can I know whether or not a person is a Christian? How can I know if a person is a Christian? And the short answer is we we can't know for sure. But how can I begin to know if a person understands the gospel? And, and there are some wrong answers to that question, right? You might say, well, uh, that person goes to a really good church. That person goes to Bethany Community Church, so they're, they're probably a Christian. Or that person, um, man, they're just a really nice person, so they're, they're probably a Christian. I was asking one of my daughters if her friend was a Christian. She goes, well. She has a Bible verse in her Instagram bio, so probably. Well, okay, that's not the best way, right, to know whether or not a person is a Christian. How can you know if a person is a Christian? How can you know if a person understands the gospel at least? Uh, one of the questions that I ask people as we're talking about our faith, a question that i often ask is, okay, if, if you were to, to die and were to stand before God and God were to say to you, why shall I let you into heaven, what would you say? And if a person says, well, I would would tell God that I'm a sinner, I don't deserve to go to heaven, but that I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, and I've I've placed my trust in him alone, I've turned from my sin, I've I've placed my faith in your son Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. If a person tells me that, I I at least understand that they, they understand the gospel, right? They at least know the message of the gospel. And if a person tells me, well, you know what, um... I try to obey the Ten Commandments, I follow the golden rule and treat other people the way that I would want to be treated. I would tell God that I have really tried to do nice things for other people. If a, per, if a person tells me that kind of answer, an answer about the things that they have done, well, what does that do? That, that gives me concern. Like, I'm not sure this person, the indications are that this person doesn't understand the gospel, Now, that brings up a second question, and the second question may sound a lot like the first question, but it's different, I assure you. The second question is this, how can I know for sure if a person is not a Christian? And Again, the short answer is I can't know for sure. But let's say that I ask a a person a question about tell me what you believe about the gospel, tell me what would you say to God if you were to say, Why should I lead into heaven? And the person gives me a very works-based answer. They say, Well, you know what? I would tell them that I have tried to be kind to to puppies, and I've I've tried to just be a, a super sweet person and not get angry, and I've done my best, and I've prayed a lot, I've listened to a lot of sermons, I've tried to give to charity if a person starts talking to me about their works as they begin to, to answer that question, is there a point that I can know for sure that a person is not a Christian? If they're saying that they're a Christian. Now, what I would suggest to you is that even asking that question is an offensive thing to ask to many people. Even asking the question how can I know if a person is not a Christian if they say they're a Christian? That's, that's an offensive thing to say. In fact, I was talking to someone recently and uh, we, were, we were talking, we found out that his wife and I grew up in the same area of Texas and we had a lot of the same friends. He says, yeah, your, your friends uh, kept sharing the gospel with my wife whenever she was in high school. And she was like, why do these people keep sharing the gospel with me? I'm a Christian, right? It was kind of a, a little bit of an offensive thing to do. H- how can we ask this question How can we know if a person is not a Christian? I say that because even asking the question, even exploring that this answer is going to be offensive to some. In fact, you could take this this sermon, and this sermon we've we've called the danger of getting the gospel, just a little bit wrong. You could also entitle the sermon, um, how to shrink a church, or uh, sermons sermons not to preach in the middle of a building campaign. Um, I, I recognize that some of the things I say are going to be offensive, maybe shocking even, in our current church culture, but I hope that I'm careful as we we, we talk about these things, because in this passage that we're looking at, Paul is letting some people know that the gospel message that they're tempted to follow is not the true gospel. And Paul is telling the people that he's writing to, look, if that's the gospel that you're clinging to, if if that's the gospel you accept, you're not a Christian. And and you say, well, is is this still relevant in our culture today? And and I think it it absolutely is relevant. And there are multiple Christian groups that I think are in a very similar situation to the situation that the people in Galatia are, are in. There are Christian groups in our culture today, in the North American culture, throughout the world, that would have some very good doctrine in parts. They would say some true things about Jesus Christ and about his, his deity, and they would say some great things about God, and they would say some great things about the authority of Scripture, and they would say some great things about the, the believing in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ for our sins. They would say some good things about some good doctrines, some good Christian things, just like the people that were Paul's opponents here in Galatia. And at the same time, in these denominations, in these different Christian groups in our culture today, there would be people who would be very very good people. In fact, there would be people in these groups who are Christians. And yet, just like in Paul's day, there would be in these churches, ultimately, a gospel that's different from the true gospel because of the emphasis that some of these groups place upon works as necessary for salvation. The emphasis they place on works is necessary not just for for justification, but for for sanctification. And, And maybe some of you come from a doctrinal tradition like that. Very similar to what we see in Galatia. Maybe uh, there were people in your church. You say, I, "I know that they were genuine believers, but I also know that in my church there was a, a teaching that emphasized works in such a way that that teaching was no longer faithful to the gospel." And so, I'm going to I'm going to give some specifics here as we begin. And I, I kind of went back and forth on how specific to be because I, I don't have enough time to unpack. All the ramifications of what I'm saying, but I think it's important to, to give you kind of some, some uh, categories to think, some specific examples of what I'm talking about here. This idea that there are some Christian groups that would teach very good things and at the same time teach some things that are contrary to the gospel and that we need to be wary of. And so, for example, uh, the Roman Catholic Church has a teaching on the, the sacraments that I think falls into this category. And the the true gospel, I think, is contained in some of the the catechisms of the Catholic Church. The Roman Catholics are our friends in so many issues. I uh, appreciate the Roman Catholic teaching on marriage and on issues related to life. And we partner with them in many areas. But when it comes to what they believe about the sacraments and the necessity of the sacraments in order to be saved, there's concern, right? There's concern, the Catholic Church would teach for example that the sacraments are outward signs instituted by by God by Christ to, to give grace uh, means like sanctifying grace and there'd be seven sacraments baptism and penance and confirmation and so forth and so for example the, 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 the catechism of the Catholic Church teaches that it's that you uh, through the through the sacramental system you begin the, the Christian journey the Christian life and it's a journey a, this initiation to Christianity takes place in stages. It enters you enter in the church through baptism. The catechism teaches by baptism all sins are forgiven, original sin and all personal sins, and uh, as well as all punishment for sins. So it's, it's not connected just to faith in Jesus Christ. It's just like here in Galatia they are saying, "Look, you need to be circumcised," and it's just like that, in the Catholic Church is teaching look, to to be in right standing before God. You're, you're baptized, and it's baptism that removes sin. Speaking of hell, the, the Catholic catechism states this. The, the teachings of the church on the subject of hell are a call to the responsibility incumbent upon man to make use of his freedom in view of his eternal destiny. Of his eternal destiny. In other words, you enter into the Catholic church, you enter the church, you're, you're baptized, and there are some things that you're responsible to do. It's your responsibility to, to do these things, to participate in the sacraments, to receive God's grace, and so hopefully there will be final salvation, justification. Now, there are a lot of good teachings in the Roman Catholic Church. There are many uh, teachers, I believe, who would emphasize Christ's work and trusting in him. And yet, this, this teaching on the sacraments, I think, is an example of what Paul is talking about here in Galatians. And it's not just the Roman Catholic Church. There are Baptist traditions that emphasize works and legalism to earn God's favor some of you have been part of the Anabaptist tradition there's a denomination in our in our area that expresses itself in different ways in different congregations and in in some places taught about works in such a way that the gospel was obscured right because of in some areas because of the emphasis placed on the necessity of works and as that as that teaching about the necessity of works in order to earn God's favor as that as that teaching comes comes to the forefront in some of these congregations what happens the gospel is obscured, and it becomes a different gospel, not the gospel of being saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, completely apart from our works. Now, every time I say stuff like that, I get pushed back, okay? And so, you know, email address, Daniel at Bethany Community Church, I'm sorry, Diane at Bethany Community Church, <laughs> Daniel spelled funny there, um, you know, every, there's pushback, right? In fact, there's, there's one person one time that we, you know, I mentioned th- some things like this we began a series of conversation and I sat down with her and her husband and we talked about, okay, here's what, here's why I believe that what your church is teaching about uh, the sacraments are not a helpful, not a, a biblical way to understand how you got grow in God's grace and how you achieve salvation and, um. She was very sweet, she sent me multiple books, but, but every time I, I talked with her via email or just on the phone, um, it, it drove her crazy. I mean, it just like blew her mind. It was just so frustrating to talk to me, and, and I don't enjoy that, I don't relish that, uh, and I understand that, it, that you know, I've got to the point where Whitney said, Daniel, you can't talk to this person anymore because you're going to uh, just drive her insane, um, and that's, that's not my goal, right? That's not what we want. I, I say that, though, to, to tell you, I understand that this is a, a controversial issue. Saying that a person who says they're a Christian is not a Christian or is at least affirming a gospel that's not the true gospel, that's not a, a comfortable thing to say. It's not a pleasant thing to say, but I think it's what Paul is saying here. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to have a different understanding of the gospel. You're saying, well, Dane, are you saying that every person who goes to a church that teaches something about the, the, the gospel is different or is wrong, every person is not a Christian? No, that's not what I'm saying. Here's what I am saying. Here's, what, here's how I would sum up what Paul is saying. Here's kind of the main point I want us to, to understand from this text this morning. It's still not an easy text or easy thing to say, but here's what I think Paul is saying. To knowingly embrace a works-based gospel is to deny the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's what I think Paul is saying here in this passage. If I knowingly embrace a you know, works-based gospel, a gospel that says it's Jesus Christ plus me, or it's me plus something else, any gospel that's not Jesus Christ alone, to, to embrace that gospel is to deny the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to be a church that grows in our understanding of how to share the gospel with others and proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord to others, we need to understand this. We need to make sure that we get the gospel right. It's a big deal, and we're going to be talking about that over the next two weeks. Let's begin in verse one with the command, okay? Here's here's the command. Look what Paul writes. He says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so, okay, I, I'm, and this is a, a beautiful kind of bringing the, the two sections of Galatians that we're in Ended in chapter 4, beginning in chapter 5, kind of brings those things together. For freedom, Christ has set us free. This is what uh, Christ's goal was. As we think about what he's done in releasing us, it's so that we can be free. We're released from these, the bondage that we discussed in Galatians 4, the, the elementary principles of the world, from the bondage of sin, the bondage of the, the powers that be, the, the demonic forces, the powers of the world. We're, we're free from that. We're liberated from that bondage and then so that's the indicative that's that's the statement of fact about what god has done and now here's the command therefore stand firm continue to hold fast is what paul is saying don't don't submit again to a yoke of slavery hold the true gospel firmly don't fall for false gospel living don't submit again stay free paul is saying get the gospel right, and then hold on tightly to the true gospel. My uh, sons are are both, I told them I was going to say this, and they kind of agreed with me. Uh, bo- both of my sons are involved in a geek culture in, in one way or the other. You know, geek culture is, geek, this is my definition, not their, theirs, Um Geek culture means that I have a a deep understanding and knowledge about something of questionable value. Okay, so um, you know I I have this I have this passionate knowledge of how to speak Elvish. Okay, and uh, nobody cares, but I do. Okay, and so and, I'm, and I get it right. I have to be. Not my, that's not my sons. It's other areas for them, but. Um, you know, that's that's geek culture. I, I have exact knowledge about something of debatable or questionable value. And there have been multiple times in our family's discussions where I've referenced something in uh, Doctor Who, or I've asked a question about a character in the Marvel universe, or I've uh, not understood the meaning of a meme, or not how to pronounce it, you know, meme or whatever, and, um, <laughs> and my boys have, have said, Dad, come on, you know, like. Don't you understand that character's backstory? And don't you? And, and I'm like, no, I don't know that. And so, uh, a person who's a geek understands not just um, the the Marvel movie and the characters; they understand the backstories behind each character and how that character played out in different comic. Those are those are those are people who have. And I don't mean this offensively. Those are people who have knowledge of questionable value, debatable value, even. Now, those of us, but but the, but it's but it's deep. And specific, and if you say it the wrong way, you're corrected. And it's not just geeks, you know, there's grammar people out there and history people. You, you know who you are, right? Uh, but, but we have a knowledge, and if people are going to be passionate about getting knowledge of questionable value exactly right, you and I have knowledge that is of, of, of eternal infinite value and we'd better get that knowledge right and make sure that people understand the essential knowledge of of the gospel correctly as well it's like we have the the code to a safe a four digit code to a safe and it has a of a, a antidote to a terrible disease and there's someone going around spreading the wrong message about that code. We have the right code, and we can't just tell a person, oh, you know what, you got three of the four digits. That's, that's close enough. You, you want to make sure that people get the code exactly right. You and I have this gospel message, a message of infinite value, a message that we need to get exactly right. And Paul's saying, look, you don't want to live according to a false gospel. You want to live according to the true gospel Hold fast to that gospel, know the gospel, know how to spot a lack of understanding of the gospel. Be gracious as you proclaim the gospel. We'll talk about that later. That's the command. Now let's do this. Here's the second thing we want to talk about. Let's talk about what it means, what it means to accept a false gospel. Okay? Let's say that a person is off a little bit on the gospel. They understand who Jesus is, they believe that he's the Messiah, they say some great things about Jesus, they, they think some great thoughts about who God is, but, but they're off just a little bit in terms of works, in terms of saying, look, I believe that Jesus is all these things that you say he is, but I also believe that I need to do these things in order to truly be saved. For the Jew, I need, I need to be circumcised and follow the law, I need to celebrate these feasts. Is it that big of a deal is it that big of a deal to got, get the gospel right? And I am going to argue this week and next that it is. What does it mean to accept a false gospel? Here's the first thing I want us to think about. If, if I do begin to depend upon my works. Number one, Paul says, if, if I depend on works, I deny Christ. Look, look at the text. Look what he says in verse 2. If I depend on works, I deny Christ. He says, look, I, Paul, and by the way, I am so grateful to Paul for writing that, right? This isn't, Dan, this isn't Daniel saying, hey, guys, I got this crazy opinion. Let me share this with you. This is, this is Paul. And Paul's telling the Galatians, look, if you believe that I have all the things I said in chapters 1 and 2 in terms of the authority of the true gospel, if you believe the things we talked about in chapters 3 and 4 about my relationship with you, look, it's, it's me, it's Paul. I'm, I'm telling you this. I say to you, if you accept circumcision, if you accept circumcision, in other words, he's not saying, look, if you're circumcised, you can't be a Christian. Uh, Many of the people in this room would be in trouble if that was the case. Um, That's not his point. And remember in Acts chapter 16, he has Timothy circumcised, that Timothy can minister more effectively to the Jews. When he says, if you accept circumcision, he's saying, if you, if you agree with the Judaizers that your justification with God is based upon your works, if the, if the Judaizers, the people, my opponents have come to you and they've said, look, you need to become a Jew, you need to get circumcised, you need to begin to obey the law and follow the feasts and all these Jewish traditions, if you accept that message, if you say, okay, I agree with you that in order for me to be right before God, I need to believe in Jesus Christ and I need to begin to do those things. Paul says, if you accept that message, if you believe that message, it may sound very similar to what I'm saying, but if you accept that message, then what? What does the rest of the verse say? Christ is of no advantage to you. you can't do part of your salvation and hope that Jesus Christ helps you with the rest this is very profound brothers and sisters if if i begin to depend upon my works i've denied christ the christian recognizes that his or her life is completely and wholly dependent upon Jesus Christ. From the moment of salvation into the moment of of final salvation, to the moment of of final deliverance from sin and, and perfection, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, not by works. I live by faith, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, "Christ, if you accept works, if you begin to depend on works, you deny Christ." When I was in high school, we had this uh, teacher that our, our U.S. history teacher that he he used to write these elaborate true/false questions. There'd be ten of them on there, our quizzes, and there would be this this labyrinth of of triple quadruple negatives and you know it'd be this this long he wouldn't write it down he would just he would just say it and he would he would say this thing out loud and and you had to and and you'd this is not but is isn't except but and just this long sentence and at the end of the sentence you had to write down what true or false and you couldn't do the thing where you made the t look like the f and so you, you you had to decide yes or no true or false and if there was just one part of that statement, that quadruple, triple negative statement that was false, what did that mean? The whole thing's false. It's binary, true or false. Paul says you, you can't say, well, I'm, I'm going to have Christ. And I'm gonna have Christ and works, and both of those are okay. And then I don't understand the person that's all works isn't gonna make it, but I'm gonna have works and Jesus, and some people can have just Jesus. He says that, that's that's not the case. It's it's binary, true, false. And if you depend upon works, you've denied Christ. Here's the second statement I want you to think about here from verse three. If I depend on works, then I need perfection. If I depend on works. I need perfection. Listen to what Paul writes. I testify again. I, I, Paul, I'm I'm witnessing. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. So in other words, once you've done what he talks about in verse 2, once you've said, okay, I'm going to depend upon works, Understand you have put yourself in a, in a dangerous situation. Here's, here's why it doesn't work. Here's why you can't say, I'm going to have Jesus and my works. Once you've, say, once you've said, I'm going to depend at least partly upon my works, you've put yourself in a situation where you need absolute perfection. If you're going to say, God needs to find me acceptable on the basis of my works, think about what you've said. You're talking about the God who is absolute and complete holiness. He's perfection in in the sense that he he defines what perfection is. Imperfection is any deviation from who he is. And so if you're going to say, I need to be judged on the basis of my works, you're saying that the God who is absolute perfection needs to look at me and find something acceptable in me. And Paul has been very clear as he's gone through Galatians, that that's a losing proposition. All who, who, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. That's Galatians 3.10. It's written, Curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. Later in chapter 3, verse 18, For if the inheritance comes by the law, in other words, God's promises to Abraham come by obedience to the law, it, is, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. James tells us the same thing, similar thing in James chapter 2. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself. You're doing well, but if you show partiality, you're, you're committing sin or convicted by the law as transgressors. Why? For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point becomes guilty of all. You know, this is why, again, I think those, those, those quest, that question I mentioned at the very beginning of the sermon is, is so helpful. If you were to die tonight and God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? It's a helpful question because you find out what a person is relying upon for their salvation. I, I would say, God, you should let me to heaven because I've, I've tried to treat others the way that I have wanted to be wanted to be treated the, the golden rule really how's that gone for you well you know we all fail sometimes yeah how often like once a year once once a week you, you try to treat others the way they want to be how, how often do you fail in that hourly constantly If you depend upon works, the bad news is you need perfection. And the third statement to think about here from verse 4, and this this is hard, this is hard. I'm glad it's Paul's words, not mine. If I depend on works, I'm not a Christian. Ultimately. Ultimately. If ultimately I accept a gospel that's not the gospel of faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, being saved by God's grace alone, I've accepted a message that's not the gospel message, which means what? I'm not a Christian. Paul's words are hard here, but they're loving. and The words that we need to hear, verse 4, You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. That word "severed" is the same word that was used earlier by Paul to describe that the canceling of a covenant. He's going to use it again in, in verse eleven. It means there's there's no longer a, a formal relationship. If you're a person who's accepted works, you're not a person who's in Christ. He says you've you're, no, you're severed from Christ. You who would be just justified by the law, you've fallen away from grace and and from. That, that word fallen away means to go from one condition to a worse condition. You're no longer in the condition of, of a grace relationship. Now you're in a relationship where you're judged by your works and not Christ's righteousness. And so if you're a person who has said, I'm going to depend upon works, but tries to follow the Old Testament law, you're a person that Paul says he's concerned about. A person who says, okay, I'm going to follow the, I've heard the message of Paul's opponents, and I'm going to begin to follow the ceremonial laws, and I'm going to begin to try to keep the holidays, I'm going to be circumcised, my children, my boys are going to be circumcised, and we're going to begin to live like Jews. Paul says, okay, I'm, I'm concerned about you because it seems like you've missed the gospel. A person who says, okay, I'm going to come to Christ so that I can begin to follow the law is a person who doesn't understand why the law came in the first place. The law came in the first place to point us to Christ, not Christ to come to help us obey the law. And so Paul says, look, if that's your mindset, if he says, great, now I have Jesus, now I can do the law. You're not a person who understands Jesus. You're not a person who understands salvation, and I, I'm, I'm afraid that you're not a believer. Paul's contention is once you put yourself in the works camp, you're no longer in the gospel camp. There's every reason to worry you're not a Christian. Now, again, to, to say that is, is a shocking thing, right? To say that is, is a shocking thing. In fact, there's a book called The Spectrum of Evangelicalism, and, and it's kind of like a one of those four view books that talks about different perspectives on things. And some of the writers in the this book the spectrum, spectrum of evangelicalism would say you know what um, there's there's no there's no boundary to evangelicalism you, you can be an evangelical christian and and really just kind of believe anything you want but just just say you're an evangelical and you're an evangelical christian and there are other writers in the book who say no that's that's crazy right there's there's a central truth that, that all of us need to believe in order to be in right relationship with god and if if you've denied those central truths you're no longer in relationship with god now you say well hold on daniel let's 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 stop the bus here for a second what what are you saying see so, daniel are you saying are you saying that everybody who who doesn't go to a church like Bethany community church that gets the gospel exactly are you saying that that everybody is in those other churches aren't christians. No. A- absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. Let's let's be clear here. There are big issues and little issues, right? There, there are important issues and 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 super important issues. And and there are some church, there there's some issues that are that are just very very minor, okay? So like um what's a minor issue um, what translation of the Bible you like the best okay or um, what time service should start or what time you should get there if service starts at a certain time I mean that's a that's, that's a big issue um no I'm often late too um, or uh, you know what the curriculum of your children's Sunday school class Th- those are some some issues that that people in a church, the same church they're, they're going to disagree on right? And, and then there are going to be some, some bigger issues, like what we believe about the end times, what we believe about um, Calvinism, or what we believe about um, women in ministry, or you know, there, there's some big issues that we're going to, within the same church, kind of generally have the same beliefs and convictions on those areas, but... Um, but there's going to be people in other churches that we love a lot that we'd say, man, those people are walking with the Lord, and we are, we are in lockstep with them in terms of ministry and, and pursuing the glory of God together. But we'll we disagree on some of those things, and and maybe there's going to be some people that we that we love, and we have some some differences of opinion on on really big issues like what is even the nature of baptism, or what is the um, the just some, some bigger issues, but we're still going to say, you know, we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ and there's going to be even people in our church. We have some differences of opinions on, on big issues. But then there's the ultimate issue, right? And, and along this the spectrum that I've described so far, we can have all sorts of different partnerships and relationships. We pray together, we, we do ministry together, all sorts of things in different ways. But, but then there's the ultimate issue. And the ultimate issue being how, how do we get in relationship with, with God in the first place? How do we know that we're in relationship with God and our sins have been forgiven and we have hope of eternal life? We're talking about the ultimate issue of, of the gospel. And that's not an issue we can disagree on. You can tell me, Daniel, I have a different opinion on you uh, regarding the the, the a philosophy of, of what a church service should be on a Sunday morning. And I can say, you know what? You and I, we disagree, but boy, we both believe the gospel of Jesus. We both believe that we are sinners who are only saved by God's grace through us placing our faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Right? Right. Brothers in Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ. But you tell me, Daniel, I, I disagree with you. I disagree with you that we're saved by Jesus Christ alone, by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That that becomes a different gospel message, right? It becomes a different gospel message. It's a big deal, and, and now, and now, even though I believe that there are um, things we can do in partnership and love one another, there's there's a tension. There, there's a problem. Now, there's something encouraging to me, and. That's that's this. Acts fifteen is encouraging to me. He said, "Well, Dana, what do you do with people who are in churches that you know aren't teaching the true gospel? Does that mean that every person in that church isn't a Christian?" And Acts fifteen is a passage that brings me comfort. In Acts chapter fifteen, I think it takes place after Galatians five is written. And in Acts chapter fifteen, you have some people who are still saying, "Look, you have to be circumcised to be saved." In other words, there are people in Acts fifteen who are part of the church who are preaching a fall or teaching a message that runs contrary to the gospel. And then you come to Acts chapter 15, and it's, it says that there are some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, and they're saying it's necessary to circumcise these new believers and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Now, I believe what's happening there is you have a person who's a, a I, I think what's happening here is genuine believers are not understanding the implications of what they're saying and are unintentionally teaching a false gospel. They haven't put all the pieces together yet. Now, throughout the chapter, they're going to hear the true gospel, and they're all going to come together in unity with the true gospel. And and so, honestly, my prayer for people who are in churches that aren't being faithful to the gospel message is they just haven't put the pieces together. And if you're to, to press them on it, they say, okay, it's, it's Jesus Christ alone, faith in him that I'm saved. These other things aren't aren't central to my salvation, even though I'm articulating them in a way that isn't helpful. That'd be my hope. Now, here's, we'll come back to that next week, but here's, let me end on something positive here. What does it mean to accept the true gospel? What it means to accept the true gospel. Paul says this in verse 5. Uh, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So, so two things I want us to see in verses 5 and 6. Number one, if I trust in Christ, so here's the difference. If I trust in Christ, I'm looking forward to my final declaration as righteous in Christ. Okay? Okay? I'm looking for so a person who's basing their salvation on work says I'm looking forward to the future and someday I'm going to stand before God and God's going to say Hey you and Jesus did a great job on the basis of your faithfulness to to pray to do uh, these these acts of penance to be able to to. not wear short shorts or to do, on the basis of doing all these things, now you're righteous. That's a person who's works-based righteousness, false gospel. The person who's trusting Jesus Christ alone says, okay, right now, as I think about the future, I'm looking forward, I'm eagerly waiting for the hope of righteousness, the the, the hope of being declared righteous, not in myself, but in Christ. Not my works, but in Christ. A person who's a Christian understands that my salvation is not based upon myself, but upon Christ. I'm I'm eagerly waiting. Every time Paul uses that phrase, waiting, he's talking about the future. Second thing, if I do trust in Christ, I I demonstrate my faith through love. Some people would say, well, Daniel, do, do you mean that there's no works necessary for a Christian? No, 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 of course we should be doing good works. But it's not what I'm basing the hope of my salvation or even my sanctification in. Verse 6 is, is, is more clear here. Circumcision, uncircumcision, none of that counts for anything. I don't get credit for any of those things. I can't say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm circumcised, therefore I'm obeying the law, therefore God finds me acceptable. I don't say, look, I'm not circumcised, I'm, I'm better than you are, I, I don't do either of those things. None of that counts for anything, it's only faith. And how does faith express itself? It expresses itself through love. expresses itself through love. As I place my faith in Jesus Christ, I do good things, but they come out of not me, but of Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I manifest that not through condemning, but through love. My prayer for our church as we enter the next decade of our ministry has has been that we would grow in our ability to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, not just, not just to each other, not just, hey, we're a church that we all know we love Jesus as Lord, but that God would help us grow in our ability to, to proclaim the Lord to those who don't know Him. In other words, there there are people in our life who who would who would say some very nice things about Jesus and and yet, and yet they don't know Him as Savior. To knowingly embrace a works-based gospel is to deny the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and my prayer for our church, as we enter in this next decade of ministry, this next decade of ministry, that God would give us a passion to make sure that we and the people we love fully understand this message: that we come into relationship with God not through our works but through faith, and that we continue in our relationship with God not on the basis of our works but through our faith in his son, Jesus Christ, working itself out in love to one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you today for the women who have been influential in our lives. We think of moms, of sisters, of co-workers, of Sunday school teachers, of women who you have used by your grace to help us know the true gospel of your son, Jesus we thank you that you have gifted our, our church with, with women who love your son Jesus and who understand the gospel and who proclaim it to, to one another and in our, in our groups who proclaim it to our children, who proclaim it to their children. We, we pray that we would be faithful to honor the people that you have given to our church and we pray that we would be faithful to know, to love the gospel, to protect it, to teach it clearly. We pray this in the name of your son Jesus for your glory. Amen.